Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here for another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. We're chatting with Nina, who learned Greek, Spanish, and French with us as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. The Fluent in Three Months Challenge is a 90-day program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation in a new language as a part of a supportive community while building an effective and personal system for your own language learning. You can learn more at languagehacking.com slash challenge. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, then you'll definitely love the extra content we have for you over at Patreon. Learn more and get access to this bonus content and extended interviews at languagehacking.com slash Patreon. In our chat with Nina, we discuss figuring out how much you want your teachers to correct you, how to get through the intermediate plateau, learning multiple languages simultaneously, reading to learn languages, coming back to languages after a break, becoming more direct with your language tutors in order to get the most out of your lessons, balancing your energy and being more aware of your energy levels, learning languages with the unpredictable schedule of having a new baby, learning your partner's native language, and how Nina supports her daughter's own language learning. So let's get into our chat with Nina. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 122. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I am here along with my co-host, Benny Lewis. And today we're chatting with Nina, who learned both Greek and Spanish with us as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. So we're going to go ahead, just jump right in. So Nina, can you tell us how your interest in language learning started? Um, So I think like all uh, English school children, I started with French at school, which I continued until the end of school. And we also did Latin, which everyone loved because it was a language that you didn't have to speak. Um, But I got to the end of school and I couldn't really speak French very well at all. And then I went to university and we had the option to do an evening class. At At the time, I was really interested in Russian literature. So I decided to take Russian for a year. Um, and then when I did my medical degree, just before that, I found Benny's blog somehow, fluent in three months. And I decided that I would go and I would learn Spanish by myself. So I went to Colombia for three and a half months. I just got a book and I just spoke to as many people as I could. Um, and then after that, Uh, I finished medical school and I went to Sweden and I learned Swedish for a little bit. So you could say that uh, with all these experiences, I was a bit of a language flirt, but I'd never really got, apart from the time I tried to learn Spanish, too far with any of the languages. Um, And then I decided to do the the Fluent in Three Months Challenge and I did Greek because my partner is a native Greek speaker and at the time I was pregnant. And it was very important for me, for my for my daughter to learn her native language. Um, and I think just having that motivation, and also because I was living with his family at the time and they spoke a lot of Greek, I made so much progress in that three months. It, 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 I think even my, um, my husband and my parents-in-law were really, everyone was astounded by it. And I was kind of hooked and I joined the alumni community. And then I decided to do an advanced challenge in Spanish. Um, because Spanish was one of these things, although I'd probably made the most progress with it, I'd never really got the confidence 
to speak it to a good level and very, very sort of easily. And then, so I did the advanced challenge in Spanish. And then I did a polyglot, polyglot challenge with Spanish and French um, to try and advance those. And yeah, so I kind of feel like I've done all three of the different challenges. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And in with one of your teachers, you've a strategy that they correct you a lot. Is this something you agreed on ahead of time and you find it's something that works well for you? Yeah, because so I've had different strategies at different times. I think when I did the advanced challenge in Spanish, what I realized was although I had a really good passive understanding, I could read novels and everything in the language, I was still really struggling with confidence speaking. So I had the strategy then of just, you know, I, I joined Baselang, which is this sort of platform that worked for me really well at the time because I had the newborn where you could just book languages last uh, lessons last minute. And I did a lot, a lot, a lot of speaking. But then I realized I got a lot of confidence, but I wasn't really progressing. So I found another teacher for both Greek and Spanish. And I asked them just to really tell me what my mistakes were, because I think sometimes when you get to a certain level in a language, where you can communicate quite well, but you're still making mistakes, people don't correct you, um, especially, you know, if you're speaking to friends in the language or my partner, for example, they don't correct you because they don't need to, they can understand you. But you, so you kind of reach this, I guess that's part of the intermediate plateau. Um, so I wanted someone to really tell me, okay, this is what your mistake is. This is how you can improve. And then from knowing what they are, I can, I know how, what grammar points I need to work on, what areas I'm weakest in. So speaking of the intermediate plateau and given where you're at with many of your languages, what are some of the other strategies that you use to get through that plateau and continue making progress? Um, I love to read. I think everything changed for me in Spanish when I really started consuming a lot of media. Um, I don't think I learn a lot from watching lang from watching shows, but reading novels um, is really, really helpful. I think in that way you just absorb the grammar. And sometimes I will say something, for example, in Spanish, and I'll think, I don't know when I've learned this, or I don't know whether it's correct, but I have this feeling that that's the right thing to say. Um, and the same thing happened with Greek. I think I made so much progress in just three months because from the very beginning, I learned how to read the alphabet and I would spend 30 minutes every night on link. I just would go through the mini stories. Um, and that way, because Greek is quite difficult grammatically for me, I'm sure there's harder ones, harder languages, but, um, it really helps me to sort of internalize some of the difficult grammar points and and also the vocabulary. So I think reading helps a phenomenal amount. Um, and also just really exposure, exposure, exposure to the language. So one thing that's uh, interesting about the way you've been learning these languages is that you are learning both Greek and Spanish alongside one another. And uh, this can be a, a great challenge for a lot of people. So what kind of things did you do to be able to compartmentalize them and to work through the two languages without one influencing the other too much? I think it was a lot easier because they're on different levels. Um, actually, when I joined the Polyglot Challenge, my original plan was also to revive my French or my Swedish. Um, Swedish, I was about B1 and French I haven't spoken for years, but passively I can understand it quite well. 
But what I found quite quickly was that doing the French and the Spanish was not working because they were so similar. And I think um, perhaps if I was to get to a sort of a C1, C2 level in Spanish, um, then I could add in the French a bit easier. But at the time, it was it was it was just interfering too much. Greek and Spanish are, they have similarities, and learning knowing Spanish definitely helps with Greek. But they're still quite similar sounding, and also they have a different script, so they weren't leaking as much into each other. And I think also because Greek is at the beginner level, I think if you're going to learn several languages at once, it's a good idea to choose ones that are different stages of the learning pro learning sort of journey. So if you start two completely new languages at once, it's going to really impede your progress. And it's better, I think, just to stick to one, get to an intermediate level and then introduce another one. Um, so, yeah, that was that was where I was at. And then I would do different things. Um, so with the polyglot challenge, we were prompted to um, work with our um our schedule a little bit so try alternating days try alternating times and while it didn't always work because I had the, the baby to look after so I wasn't able to sort of stick to a schedule as such I did try to separate them into mornings and afternoons or I would have specific times like if I knew that we were going to see my in-laws at the weekend I would spend an evening before refreshing my, my Greek um, if I was going to see you know my Peruvian friends I would work on the Spanish a bit before so that I was sort of prepped for those to really maximize my um, my sort of output from those experiences. So you had mentioned a moment ago that you really enjoy reading as a way of working on your languages. What is it that you most enjoy about it and what is it that you find the most effective about it? Um, I think I'm just a person that enjoys reading anyway. I love reading and I also like that you can read an author in their the original the original, the original of, of a book um, rather than someone else's interpretation of it. So one of my favorite authors is Gabriel Garcia Marquez and I never thought I would be able to read any of his books. Um, they're quite complex but last at the beginning of this year actually I started reading one of his first books, La Horasca, and it's tricky but it's really really reward, rewarding because it's something I never thought I'd do. It was always a dream um, and you gain a lot more from it. And also, I think, especially if you read an author, several books by the same author, you get to know their voice and they tend to use the same vocabulary. So instead of, I mean, if I saw a word that I would think I would use, um, I, of course, would write it down in Anki. I'm a big fan of Anki and just, you know, um, SRS sort of way of learning. Um but I wouldn't do it. You, you can't do it with every new word that you come across. But what I noticed is that as you come across the same vocabulary and context, you internalize it. And I've actually, I think that this is rocket fuel, rocket boosted my um, active vocabulary. Passive vocabulary has always quite been quite high for me. But actively, I can use these words a lot easier because I'm seeing them more and in context as well. The other thing I did with the reading, which I think changed a lot, is because I used to use books. The trouble with that is if you don't understand something, you have to stop, you know, get your phone out, Google Translate. I try not to do that too much, but sometimes it's you have to. Um, but then I got a Kindle for Christmas and I discovered that with the Kindle, you can download dictionaries 
And you can also have Google Translate as well if you want to. So it becomes kind of like a portable link. Um, if you're someone like me who doesn't have a very good attention span and wants to have lots of different books, you have all these different books in all the languages you want and you can click on a word. And specific, specifically with Spanish, they have a really good dictionary, which will then give you examples of each of the word um, in a more colloquial form. So it's really it's really sort of like a mobile um, link, the app link. It's like a, a mobile version of that. And it's an amazing tool. I recommend the Kindle to anyone, actually, who's at that intermediate stage and wants to consume media. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Kindle. There's so many things you can use with it and the single click translations are a lot faster than using the dictionary. And another resource that you've used is Glossica. Can you tell us why you're a fan of it and how you found it useful? Yeah, I liked Gl Glossica. Well, you know, when you start the challenge, there's um, this sort of prompt for you to start using or to name three different resources that you're going to start using. And it's always been difficult for me because I've been learning languages for so long that I think I've tried everything. And I also know how I learn. So I tend to stick to the same things. But Glossica was one of those things I've never tried. And at the time, I think there was a there was um, maybe a Black Friday deal or something to try it because it's not cheap. Um, and I decided to try it for Greek, which is completely new to me. And um, it was really useful because I did a lot of commuting at the time when I was working and I could just click it on in the car and, you know, it just keeps going. It keeps going. And it really helps you to get rid of the mouth jumbles, if you like, when you start a language. And sometimes it's really difficult to pronounce the words. And you want to start. I think it's very important at the beginning to work with um, your accent and how the language is produced in the mouth and it really helped with that um, I actually don't use it to the full advantage I think because I never use the feature where you have to enter the text I only ever use it listening mode but I do think it works a lot and actually <laughs> when we went to Crete recently with my family I found myself saying oh you stood on my foot to my husband, which is something I never would have learned, but it came up in the Greek. And because he did it, it automatically flicked into my mind. So it definitely works in some way. At one point, you had taken a break from your languages and you were a little bit worried about coming back to them after that break um, because you were concerned you had lost it. Did you find that that was true or what was your experience? Um, I definitely think my Greek suffered a lot. Um, I made so much progress with the first challenge that I did. Um, and But I think I also burnt out a little bit, probably because, you know, I was renovating our house. I was pregnant. I had just started a new job. It was a lot to take on. But at the same time, I thought, OK, if you're going to learn a language, you can't have an excuse. You have to just do it. And that was the best time to do it before the baby was born. Um, but when the baby was born, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't continue. And I also really wanted to speak Spanish to her. So it was important to me to increase my Spanish level. So that was what I focused on. And then when I came back to Greek, I did find that it had suffered quite a lot. But actually, I think even though you will lose a lot, it comes back quick as well. Obviously, not to the extent that, for example, with Spanish, I could probably leave it for a year and I would come back and still be able to speak the language because, you know, I'm probably past a B2 now. Greek is still A A levels, A1, A2. So it is difficult. And I think from that, I learned that I just have to keep going every day. So even if I don't feel like doing Greek, because it's not really at the level where I'm enjoying it as much as I am with Spanish yet. Spanish, I can just pick up a book and enjoy it as it was English. 
the Spanish is difficult. Uh, sorry, Greek is difficult. Um, but if I do just a little bit each day, it really helps. And you do make it's amazing how much progress you can make with five minutes. Um, five minutes of Anki, ten minutes of Glossika, you know, an easy reader. Um, and that just keeps things keeps things ticking along quite nicely. Hey there, language lover. If you enjoy this podcast, then you will definitely enjoy our Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash language hacking. When you join, you can get access to our Patreon community and so many different extras. Depending on what level you join at, there is loads of bonus content available to you and every level gets some kind of bonus content. This can include the chance to ask Benny, Elizabeth and I your questions, discounts on fluent in three months courses, language mini challenges with Elizabeth, and travel updates from Benny as he explores new places all around the world. It's also a way to support our mission of making language learning accessible to everyone. Your monthly pledges will help us cover our editors, production costs, server fees, and help us to continue to make new content to support language learners. Once again, you can learn more at patreon.com slash language hacking. And during this most recent challenge, one of the uh, fellow participants actually encouraged you to be more direct with your tutor, which I know can be a little tricky. There's that feeling of awkwardness and, you know, should I dare do this? So um, like what happened and what uh, was the uh, what nudged you towards doing this and, and what did you feel after being more direct? Yeah, I think I'm that typical English person who wants to be really polite Um <laughs> And, you know, with my team, with my tutors, usually I like to have tutors that I have a good relationship with. You know, we can have a laugh. They tend to be young females. Um, we have things in common. And this particular teacher, she's brilliant. You know, I would consider her a friend now. Um, but it got to the stage where because she speaks very good English, I would be able to easily switch into English and we would continue like that some sometimes. And I didn't feel that I was getting as much out of it as I had been. So yeah, I was encouraged to to speak to her. And actually what I did, I in a I approached it in a kind of non-direct, direct way. And I said, you know, I really want to reach a B1. And I my time is limited because of the baby. So, you know, how can we can we come up with a strategy? And I think this gave her a bit of a challenge as well, because she said, okay, right, we're going to get this book. We're going to do this every week. You have to learn these words. And it really, it, it worked because together we sort of formed a plan. And I think for her, it was a challenge. Could she get me to be one within a certain amount of time? Um, and it worked really well, actually. I think, you know, language lessons are not cheap. And it taught me that, you know, it's really easy to sit back and speak a bit of English, but you have to make sure that you're getting the most out of your lessons um, and the most out of your time as well. And I'm really glad that they told me to do that, actually, because I got a, more, a lot more out of my lessons from just trying to come to this sort of joint challenge together. So you learned how to balance your energy levels as much as you learned how to work on your different languages. So can you talk about some of the strategies that you learned for balancing your energy? Um, I'm not sure if I have many good strategies for balancing my energy, but it's more about I've become a lot more aware of my energy levels and what I should be doing when, for example, I have more energy when I don't. So if I've had a really good sleep the sleep is the most the biggest thing that impacts me at the moment because you know I have a new a, a baby 
So if I've had a lot of sleep and I'm feeling very energetic, I know that, okay, today I'm going to do some grammar reviews. I'm going to do all my Anki um, and I try to capitalize it. If I don't, I used to just say, okay, I'm tired today. I'm not going to do anything. And I think that's, I've learned the hard way that that's the wrong attitude to have that even on those um, low-hanging fruit days, as we call them um, in the alumni community, I think Elizabeth coined that term. Um, on the low-hanging fruit days, you can still watch a little bit of Netflix or you can do some Duolingo. I'm not a fan of Duolingo, but you know, Glossica for me is my low-hanging fruit. I can listen to it. It doesn't take up too much of my energy, but I'm still absorbing the language and I try to repeat it out loud as well. Um, so it's more about recognizing things. And then the other thing I try to do is book my lessons in the morning, even though I'm not a morning person. I'm definitely an afternoon person. But what I've noticed is that if I have a bad sleep, but I have a morning lesson, I don't have the time to think, oh, I'm really tired, I'm going to cancel. I just have to wake up, have a coffee and do the lesson. And it doesn't give me time. It almost doesn't give me time for the tiredness to kick in because the adrenaline is going thinking I have a lesson and it doesn't matter if I'm tired. So that works quite well for me as well. Yeah. And uh, of course, like everything's been uh, like upended in your life with like having a baby. So like how does how, how do you deal with the unpredictability that throws into the mix without just giving up? Because a lot of people would say, do you know what, this period of my life, I've got too many things happening. I can't possibly put any effort into learning a language. So how, how do you resist the urge to just say, I'll do this later um, and yet still go through this whole process of like having a family as you're having? You know, it's funny. I, I can see where you're coming from. But for me, I've never been more successful in learning languages since I started with a challenge in Greek when I was pregnant. And it should be the other way around because I've tried so many times to learn languages. I've never really got to such a high level before. And I think a lot of it is because now, even though I, you're right, I don't have as much time, I'm more tired, my routine is all over the place, I have a motivation. And, you know, I wanted to, I needed to learn Greek because it's really important for me, for my daughter to have that connection to her um, heritage. And, um, you know, my husband speaks Greek, but he's not as proactive. So if we speak it as a, as a family and I can communicate with her, then I can help her. And the same with Spanish. You know, I, I want to transmit this language to her, um, at least being a passive bilingual or, you know, so, some exposure to the language because that's something I never had. My dad spoke Spanish fluently and I always wanted him to teach me. He never did. So I would like to give that opportunity to my daughter. So no matter how tired I am, or how unpredictable my routine is, I am motivated. And that makes all the difference because there's a lot, there'll always be an excuse. You can always say everyone is busy. Not many people are sitting on an, on an island with all the time in the world to learn a language. We all have things we needed to do, but you have to make time um, to learn things and, and prioritize it. Um, obviously, language learning is not my number one priority, but it's a priority enough that even if I'm tired or I'm busy I can fit it in and I've learned how to fit it in um, when I started with Spanish I think I mentioned I started with Baselang where you can book and cancel lessons last minute which was really useful because it meant that as soon as she fell asleep I would book a 30 minute lesson 
Um, and then I could do a, you know, a little chat when she was sleeping and it wouldn't mean that I was you know, booking a lesson and she would be crying and it would be wasted money. Um, and similarly, you know, if I'm feeding her, I can be on Anki on my phone. I have Link on my phone. I had that for Greek, there's some great um, easy reader apps, which are essentially books as apps. I can just open up, read a quick chapter. So it's about knowing how to fit it in and also having the motivation to do it. So given that you learned Greek, which is your husband's native language, would you say that knowing his native language has changed the dynamic between the two of you at all? Or what sort of experiences have you had out of learning his native language? Um, I don't think it's changed the dynamic between me and him, but um, I think it helped in some way the relationship with his family. Um, it's actually a bit tricky because although I learned Greek, his family are Greek Cypriot. And Greek and Greek Cypriot are not mutually intelligible for the, for the most part. There's a lot of different words and, um, you know, not really grammar, but the way they say things is very different. I've learned it. I've learned it now, more or less. Um, but it's still tricky. And because at the beginning, I would say to him, you know, how do I say this? And he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to explain anything to me. He wouldn't be able to tell me why is it different for him, because he's just learned it passively. He grew up in England, so although it's his first language, he's never gone to school and, and learned the intricacies of Greek grammar. But I think what changed is um, more with his parents. You know, they were very proud of the fact that I'd learned their language because but you know, why would you learn Greek? It's not, it's not something that I have to do, but I wanted to do it. And I remember when I did the first, the first 15 minute conversation, they had like a screening um, in their living room and, you know, we all had to sit down and they watched it and they were you know, very impressed with some of the words I knew because even my husband didn't know them. And it was really nice, actually. I think it brought me closer to them in some respect. I hope it did. And they sent the video to, you know, it went around the whole family. There was even jokes that my Greek was better than um, some of the other family members, for example. And I think for me, I hope it showed that I have respect for their their culture. And I think this is a quite important, you know, if you're, if you're with someone to, to learn their language, it's, it's difficult, but it's also a really nice thing to do. And I wanted to, to try and... Um, well, yeah, integrate a bit more as well. It definitely helps with the integration, you know, because if we travel, for example, to Greece, as we did recently, they all speak Greek. Um, and to be able to understand and contribute a little bit really helps. Uh, it's, and it's a nice feeling, actually. So you've got this initial buzz now that you're able to communicate and you've gotten the positive feedback from uh, your family. So like, where do you see yourself going from here? Because like you said, you're still not quite at the stage yet where you can relax and enjoy content like you would in Spanish. Uh, but like, what what do you see the next uh, year or so looking like? And what goals do you have uh, to kind of motivate yourself to keep at it? So I've started reading, as I said, this. there's a series of easy readers in Greek that... Um, uh, Judith Meir uh, pointed me to. She's one of the coaches. And I started working through those. And my goal is to finish the series by the end of next year because there's quite a few of them. I think there's about 15 books. And then I'll be ready for maybe young adult fiction. 
And I think I also, we're going to Cyprus this year. So when I go, when we go to Cyprus, I'll be able to dig more into the dialect there, practice a little bit, because although it's one thing to read, I really need to communicate. And sometimes that can be, it can still be tricky, despite, you know, the fact that I've been practicing, I've been learning for a year now. So my goal is to get to that level where I can at least have what, what we call house Greek conversations. You know, I don't need to be able to discuss politics, but to talk about cooking or, you know, harvesting the honey, um, the the gardening, things like that is is would be a good goal for me. Because ultimately, when my daughter grows, I want us to be able to have uh, Greek meal times, for example. I want to be able to go to her grandparents' house and say, now we speak Greek. Because I can't really help her to learn the language if I'm not speaking it myself. I think that would be my ultimate goal, to really help her to, to speak by being able to involve myself in these small house Greek conversations. So that's my goal for Greek. And then eventually I would like to revive my French and Spanish as well. And, you know, I kind of got this itch for Chinese, um, which I think would benefit her quite a lot. Um, yeah, so maybe we'll see. I'm due to do another normal challenge, I think. <laughs> and given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests is, what is your definition of language hacking? I think language hacking for me is kind of synonymous with personalization. So why for why do you want to learn this language? What is your personal why? Because you know, I've learned, I've tried to learn a lot of different languages, but I never had a strong why until now. And identifying that as your sort of motivation really helps to propel you because at the beginning you have this steep curve where you learn a lot and it's really motivating. And then afterwards you have to know why you're continuing to learn it because you don't see the gains as often as you do at the beginning. And then also your how. So some people will be more visual learners. Some people like to dive into grammar book. Other people do really well just talking. And everyone will be able to tell you how is the, what is the best way to learn. But you have to know how you learn best. Um, so it's more, for me, language hacking is really about sort of self, self-knowledge, if you like, and how you're going to personalize your own routine and why you're learning this language yourself. Very well said. I like that. So thank you very much for joining us. This was uh, very interesting to hear your story. I'm sure a lot of people listening will be quite inspired by what you've been able to do to give it a whirl themselves. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be seeing you in future challenges for sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So until the next time, I wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest. And this is something that you can try out in your own language learning or whatever you're working on in the moment and see how it goes for you. So Benny, is it all right if I start today? Go for it. All right. So my takeaway in our chat with Nina is to just do it because she's, as she said, there will always be an excuse for why you can't do it. And there's no perfect moment. There's no perfect timing. And it can seem like, oh, like, for example, in her case, I just had a new baby. 
this is not the best time for me to learn a new language, but as she said, it actually turned out to be the perfect time to learn a new language. And I can actually, uh, affirm this because when my son was first born, uh, you do have a lot of downtime, um, in those, you know, in that first period when they're sleeping a lot and there's not much for you to do because they're not quite so interactive and, and engaged with you yet. But, um, you know, whether it's a baby, whether it's an illness, whether it's, you know, a family emergency or something at work or anything, there's always going to be something. That's just the way that life works. So there's never an ideal moment or a perfect time to start learning a language or, or get better at your language. And you just have to sit down, settle and say, I'm going to do it and figure out how you're going to fit it in. What about you, Benny? What was your takeaway? So we've had multiple guests uh, on who talk about energy levels and finding the right time of day for them. And uh, she did mention that uh, becoming aware of her energy levels has been uh, a part of her process. But I like that she actually went against that a little bit. And she said that uh, like she is an afternoon person and yet she schedules her language lessons for first thing in the morning. And part of it is that she doesn't give herself time to think, to say, do you know what? I don't want to do this language lesson. She just has her coffee and jumps right into it. And this has been a strategy that I found effective with people who are hesitant is if I can find a way to just push them into the language lesson, then it makes a world of difference. So even though a lot of our guests have talked about energy levels, and I know I do try to find the most ideal part of the day for a language lesson for myself, sometimes the part of the day that maybe is not your most ideal energy wise, but is the time of the day when you're just going to do it. Like maybe you have momentum after lunch, even if you're a little tired, but you just know you're coming back, you'll start the lesson. Maybe you're like Nina and just the start of the day, you're having your coffee, you're just diving right on in. You don't have time to second guess yourself. And I think this is uh, something a lot of people can take away because we tend to overthink things. We tend to give ourselves opportunities to talk ourselves out of doing things like having a lesson because, oh, I'm not ready. And you're, you're, you're going to feel not ready. So that's just going to happen. So anything that you can do to get around that hesitation. And I love that suggestion of just starting your day with a language lesson, even if you're not a morning person. So that would definitely be my biggest takeaway. And there's something definitely to be said for the adrenaline of doing something like a conversation in a new language. Yeah, definitely. That'll wake you up. (laughs) Mm -hmm, For sure. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can join us over on Patreon where you get access to bonus questions and other exclusive content. And you can learn more about that at languagehacking.com slash Patreon. And if you are interested in also having a 15 minute conversation in a new language, you can learn more at languagehacking.com slash challenge. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. 
find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.